Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hey there, welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. So just a quick little announcement before we get into this week's episode. So we have just the last few teacher trainings with the Atman Yoga School of the year before I take off for maternity leave starting in June. So if you want to join us, please uh, send us an email, get more information. Uh, We have Restore Teacher Training. These are just like weekend 25-hour restorative yoga and yoga nidra, which is so great. Um, we get into the subtle body, we get into the brain anatomy. Like there's a lot of cool things that we do, practical teaching exercises and experiencing both the practices of stillness of yoga nidra and restorative yoga. And so we have a few more spots left. We're almost sold out. Um, for our March training here in Oslo, March 27th through 29th, we have a training in Bergen, which is uh, filling up, and that's in May. And then we have Sheehan in June. So send us an email, hello at atmanyogaschool.com, or go to our website, www.atmanyogaschool.com, and check it out. We'd love to have you join us. We also, of course, have our five-day intensive vinyasa teacher training in May, too. And so this is open to teachers who've already done a 200-hour training and would like to really kind of specialize and refine their vinyasa teaching skills specifically. So... Okay, time for this week's episode. It's so great. It's all about plant medicine and turning into the wisdom of the earth. And it's it's a good one. So I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Hey everyone, and welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I am speaking with an old friend of mine who is up to some really interesting things in the herbalism, wild crafting, maker community. So I'm going to be chatting with my friend Hillary Sargent from just outside of Missoula, Montana. So welcome, Hillary. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. We've reconnected and it's always really cool to talk with other people who um, are interested in plant medicine and are interested in using nature as a form of a healing modality. So I'm curious how you got into learning about plants. Well, it kind of started, gosh, I mean, it really started in more of the sort of Western medical sense where I was ski patrolling. And so I was kind of in the sort of emergency medical field um, for quite some time in Colorado. And I was dabbled in like getting some prereqs to go to nursing school. And in that sort of meantime, I was an EMT um, also in Colorado. And there was just some things, um, particularly when I was learning about like IVs and um, you know, different drugs and things that they could help a human with, which obviously has their place in medicine for sure. And especially in the emergency medical field. Um, I just had this sort of, uh, I kind of clashed with it. My mind just didn't really wrap. I wasn't able to wrap my head around it very well. And I think that sort of led me to a more natural way of healing. 
um, when I was in college, which is where we met, um, I sort of dabbled in nutrition. Um, I had this one like counselor teacher, which I can't even remember her name now, but she was awesome. And she was teaching this nutrition course and it was a really short little like elective course. Um, so I took that and I sort of had like that in the back of my mind. So when I was going through this sort of clash with Western medicine, um, and where I wanted to be in the medical field, I, decided to like scrap everything from nursing school <laughs> potentials and turned it into going to nutrition school. Um, and so I went to Bowman College, which it actually used to be, um, I actually went to school in Boulder for that, but it's it's now online and I think they've got maybe one location in, in California. Um, but it's a great, a great school. They've got um, a great way of teaching nutrition in a very sort of clean food sense. And there, one of my teachers was Brigitte Mars, and I just fell in love with like everything she had to say, and I like just hung on every one of her words. And so that's kind of how I sprung into the herbal field was through nutrition and and through Western medicine. So, oh, that's so cool. <clears throat> yeah, so it was a different way of getting there, but and obviously a lot longer probably than most people get to experience. Um, but so yeah, I took a, an intensive course with her, and then it kind of just blossomed from there. And I've been taking different courses and. Um, just reading a lot and practicing a lot on myself and my family and, um, yeah, just kind of blossom from there, I guess. Mm. And so you guys, you and your husband and then your daughter, your daughter, um, you guys, you had a farm. I, I, I don't remember all the details, but you had a farm somewhere in the South, right? Or kind of yeah, Midwest? We were in, um, we were in Kentucky. So when we left, Colorado. Um, we were both ski patrollers at different mountains, but when we left there, we left and managed a, a pretty big farm, um, in Indiana. And that was more of like the horse type field. Um, and we, from there decided to become farmers. And so we farmed in Kentucky on a biodynamic ranch cool. or farm, sorry, biodynamic farm. And they were mostly, um, a big beef farm. Um, and then they sort of lease land to young farmers for market type vegetable growing. Um, and then we also raised animals ourselves. So we had turkeys and pigs and sheep and chickens and ducks. Oh, wow. And then we also, that was when we first sort of like took off, um, growing our own herbs. And so we had a medicinal, um, sort of garden area too. And that's when my sort of skincare business, um, sprung out of was we didn't have anything to show in the spring, <laughs> our first year farming. And so we had to, my husband's like, you've been making stuff. Like, do you think you can make stuff fast enough to have at the farmer's market? And I was like, well, um, sure. So we did it. Oh, that's, <laughs> and that's so how cool. it began. So yeah, sort of an unconventional way of doing something, but um, we needed something to sell. And so we just started doing it. So what were your first products that you were making and selling at the farmer's market? Um, I made, and my, I still actually sell this product and it's um, my repair salve. And it's just sort of a, a repair all salve, I should say. It's um, got a few different, like really sort of nourishing, healing, um, scrape and burn and skin issue type herbs. Um, and I still sell that now and it's one of my biggest sellers today still. And it, it hasn't changed at all, <laughs> which mm. is kind of nice. And then I also did a sun cream, which is my version of sunscreen. And I actually still make that and lip balms and deodorant and the deodorant is lovely, but I've 
sort of lost my passion for making deodorants. I haven't been making that lately. Um, and then I did some sort of fresh plant tinctures and remedies too. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that some of the stuff has stuck around and is actually still what's keeping me afloat sometimes. Yeah. So then how long did you end up doing that for? Like, like, is um, that just to get you through the summer or then were you all of a sudden like, wait a minute, I kind of love this. And I think maybe this is something I want to do more seriously. Yeah. I, I think, um, the latter really was, it was very, uh, high production for that first summer. And then it kind of kept us afloat maybe for gosh, through winter. And then I started doing, you know, pop-ups and little like holiday markets and such, um, that sort of kept, you know, farmers that typically don't have a lot of income or ways to, um, gain income in the winter. It's, it's definitely harder. We were, we were more meat farmers, so we did have things to sell in the winter. Um, and so, yeah, I think it kind of just kept us going through the months that would have been a little bit harder. And so it became kind of a thing that we'd have all of our stuff. And then like, Oh gosh, we'd have to shove all my stuff under our little table space (laughs) (laughs) and like making it all work. And and every time we'd have like a new thing we'd want to, you know, bring, it would just be like shoving it into whatever location we could find. Yeah. Um, And then from moving from the farm, that farm, um, my husband was managing a farm in Montana And so we moved to Montana for that work. And, um, I was basically just a mom at this point because we had had, um, my kiddo, you know, about eight months prior. And so I then continued, I changed, I sort of rebranded and, um, did things a little differently so that I could manage, you know, being a mom and not having child help because we weren't near my parents anymore. And so I kind of, then it became two poppies, which is what I'm not, what I am now. So. Yeah. So that's the name of your business, Two Poppies Apothecary. And yep. what's the, I've, I've always wondered what's, cause your daughter's name is Poppy. Yes. Um, is. what's the two poppies from? So I actually named Poppy after my nickname growing up. Oh um, yeah. My mom wanted to name me Poppy, but I had a last name that didn't really go over very well. Um, <laughs> with, with the first name Poppy. Um, and it would have gotten some like pretty bad middle school, interrogations from other (laughs) children probably. So she just called me Poppy. Um, gosh, for forever. I mean, it's like written on my birth certificate folder, et cetera. And so I just named, um, my daughter after my nickname. So that's how two poppies came about. Oh, that's cute. That's really cute. Yeah. Oh yeah. I try to tell people that, but I sometimes forget, um, that people just don't know that already. Mm -hmm. Um, moving around so much, like people from my hometown would definitely know where it came from. Yeah. Um, cause they knew me, you know, my mom would always call me Poppy, but now in my new life, no one really knows that little fact. So (laughs) (laughs) cool. And then, so when you guys got to Montana and you're like, all right, we're going to stay here. We're going to, this is now home. How, so I've been to your shop, um, your, your like brick and mortar shop, which is super cute. But before that, were you just doing like online? How were you selling things? Yeah, definitely. Mostly online just because we did move around a lot. Um, And we even did, you know, between our Montana, like living in Montana, we did do a stint in Colorado for a little bit. Um, And so online's really the only way to do that. It is difficult moving. (laughs) And anyone that is like a maker of anything, any kind of artist would know that it's difficult moving all of 
your things, all of your ingredients and uh, ways to make things, et cetera. But it, it kind of, it always, it got a little easier every move, I guess I should say, um, figuring it all out. And then it kind of, um, with having an online presence, obviously social media is a huge part of being in a maker space, um, even for the yoga world and et cetera. If you want to be heard or sell things, um, and have something important to say, you have to be on social media. So that's a huge part of it. Um, I always have like a love hate relationship with (laughs) Instagram. Um, but when you post things, you do sell things. I will have to say that. So that's been really helpful to have that, um, throughout all the moves so that you have a space, um, to still do your art. And now having the brick and mortar, um, it's definitely a little different. Um, pop-ups are really helpful even still with a brick and mortar. It's very, it's very nice to have holiday shows or people put on markets around different holidays and it really does boost sales and also boost your online, um, attraction of people that would buy things. So it's really, you know, online is, is really kind of where it's at a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, I I have this dream of like (laughs) just being able to provide for, um, you know, my community and just my, my like small, and I live in a pretty small town. So, um, it, that's still my dream though, even though it's small. And even though I've been sort of working through the kinks of like how to go about doing that, I do have a dream of like just keeping it as simple and small as I can, um, while still being able to create a life that we're happy to live in. Yeah. Well, so that's I, where I'm at. I yeah. figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's like the million dollar question <laughs> for everybody yeah. is how do you find that balance? And when you work for yourself, when you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to that situation. And as a mom, I'm sure you see a lot of that. Like on one hand, you have a ton of flexibility. So, you know, you were just saying your daughter was sick before we started recording. And so you just, you know, shut down your, your brick and mortar for a few weeks while you guys were healing. And, you know, you can do that. Like you don't have a boss who's like, where are you? It's eight o'clock on Monday morning. (laughs) And, but then the flip side is, well, okay, if you're not showing up, if you're not hustling, if you're not working on your Instagram posts to get the sales, then you're not getting as many sales. And so your income takes the hit. And it definitely, I mean, it was an interesting, it was kind of like this, I I just did it to see how it would go. But um, January was, I just sort of like decided to be closed. I didn't have much child help. My parents live with us. And so I do get a lot of um, help with Poppy. And when my husband's not working, he'll help. But he also has like projects right now that keep him really occupied. Um, So when I didn't have the help in January, I was just like, I'm just going to close. I'm just going to see how it is. People have just spent lots of money in the holidays, which is kind of a plus to choosing January, I suppose. Um, And so I'll kind of just give everyone a break from having to spend their money. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I definitely did not make as much money. It's definitely been harder coming back after being gone. Um, I'm having to, I feel like I'm having to remind people that I exist still, Mm. um, which is more work than, you know, I, I want it to be. But I also, when I said that I was going to be closed, I got a lot of, you know, especially I guess mothers, but a lot of people just saying like, good for you, you know, like just, it's a good thing that you can recognize that, 
what your capacity can be and what you want to focus your attention on. And Mm -hmm. I bring Poppy to the shop a lot and she's a really good child. So it makes it very easy for me. And we have all these little bottles and baskets and things. Any other child would come in and just like throw on the ground, (laughs) possibly destroy. And she's just very gentle with them. And she's seen me do this her whole life. So it's nothing new, but, um, but you know, when she's here with me, something isn't done at, my hundred percent that I want it to be done at. Mm. And I just thought that I did not want her to be taking the hit. You know, um, I didn't want work to be getting most of my attention and my good attention and her just like being off, you know, trying to play by herself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a good decision, I think. Um, and you know, next year I'll probably do it again and we'll figure it out from there. (laughs) Yeah. Easier to remind people I exist next year. Yeah. Well, and also too, just like if you get in the routine of like, okay, you, you are always closing down on the January, like people start to know that. And then there's no surprise, you know, exactly. they're not just yep. like, where'd she go? They're like, oh yeah, she's, this is her, her time off. And, um, that's one thing if for me, it's really interesting because I have my work schedule, um, let's see, my baby comes in July. So we'll see how it goes <laughs> after I have, yeah. after I have my kid. Um, luckily I'm, I'm super fortunate that my husband's incredibly hands-on and we'll be able to work out. One of us will be with the kid for the first year at least, uh, which is super great. But, um, my business is really based on when people want to come take a teacher training. And so it's typically like my teacher trainings are on weekends and they're on evenings. So so when people are off of work, they can then come in their spare time, do a teacher training. When I came to Norway, it was really quite a shock because there's so many holidays here and people, and I, I mean, I think it's amazing and people really take their holidays seriously. And so they don't want to schedule anything (laughs) on holiday where in the U S you know, if you have a day off, it's like, great, what can I go do with that day off? And here, you know, like it's no problem. You're like, Oh my God, amazing. I have a three day weekend. Awesome. I can totally go do that training. (laughs) And here it's like, Oh, I have a three day weekend. Oh, I sorry. I can't come to teacher training. Can you reschedule the days? Can you cut it shorter? Like crazy things. I'm like, no, that's, that's the training. You can either come or you can't come. Uh, but, but the cool thing is, so July in Norway is uh, basically it's the main holiday month. And so most people have at least three weeks off in July and that's when everybody takes their vacation, summer vacation. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like the city shuts down, like everything shuts down. Like you wouldn't even believe all the shops close. Like it's, and that's when baby's coming. Yeah, which is amazing, actually, because it yeah. works out perfect for my husband and his vacation and his paternity leave, and and the whole thing's great. Um, good timing. Good timing. It is good timing. Folks. Well, and also, I, I, you know, the timing had to do with my age more than anything, but it was very planned and very intentional. But the best part is, I didn't want to be pregnant when it's like usually so snowy and icy here in Norway. And I've got two crazy Huskies that I walk in every day and I'm like, Oh my God, if I'm pregnant and my Husky (laughs) is pulling on the eyes and this year because of climate, climate change, you know, I don't really have to worry since we have no snow or ice, but, but it's great. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll have the baby in the summer and then it's light and it's, it's not super hot here. And so anyways, the timing worked out great. (laughs) Summer's a good time to have a child. Yeah. It was a June baby and it was, 
really hot, but at least I wasn't pregnant and really hot. <laughs> I yeah. guess is my way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I look at it too, because we have so much daylight here in the summer and then in the winter, it's so dark. And I was like, man, if you're getting up every few hours to breastfeed and taking care of yeah. a baby, like I want it to be light. I don't want to have to be stumbling in the dark and kicking things. Yeah, no, that is <laughs> so, a very good point. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is good timing, but so I, but I know anyways, with my schedule and then December is completely, there's so many Yuleboard, which is like the Christmas parties and so much happening here that if I schedule a training in December, people aren't going to come. So I know every okay. year, at least I have July and December off. So two months off, which is great, but I also work a ton the rest of the year. So it's like it, it evens out and you know, as an entrepreneur, it's not just it's not just that you work only when your shop is open or that I work only when I'm in the shala teaching a training. <laughs> you work all the time. You, you work, work all, the, all time. the time. And it's like, you get an email at 10 <clears throat> o'clock at night, you know, they were like, sometimes you just ignore it. And sometimes you're like, Oh, okay. That's a quick response. Or it's, you know, somebody wanting, you know, a teacher in my training, like, Oh my God, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be late. Is that okay? And you're like, okay, well I have to respond, <laughs> um, yeah. but there's no off hour. So even though technically it's like, oh wow, that sounds luxurious to have July and December off. It's like, well, there's a lot of other work happening behind the oh, scenes. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's constant and, and you'll realize even with, um, having your baby, your other baby, your business baby, basically. <laughs> um, it's still, it's like, oh, well, you have all this time, you know, you could take a maternity leave or what have you. I mean, some people, well, in America, at least if you're in, if you have your own business, there's no leave, there's no pay for you if you're not working. And I do see a lot of, especially, you know, artists and makers and, and even like small studio owners and things like that, that they just, they don't, they can't take the time. And it, um, and it's not like, and it's not like things take a hit, but it just, in, you just realize like how much you can do, if that makes sense. Like you, you just realize that you can be like a really good mom and still take care of business at the same time. And you're sort of the love that grows in your heart, just like grows your capacity to take on things to do, if mm. that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I've heard a saying before <clears throat> that, um, if you want to get something done, ask a mom. <laughs> and it's because <laughs> mothers and especially like in our generation and the millennials and, you know, there's such an attitude of like hustle and go get them and make it happen. And on one hand, I love that and totally agree with it. And on the other hand, I think that can be a, a, a bit of a dangerous message. But yeah. in general, the attitude, especially of, of moms our age and younger is like, okay, we'll find a way. And yes. so I really respect that. And a lot of the women that I admire in the wellness space and um, that I follow on social media, whether I actually know them or not, and I see them being like moms, and then I see them being successful in their businesses, you know, and, and, and their entrepreneurship. And to me, that's incredibly inspiring. And so I just am like, I don't know. It's on one hand, it's kind of daunting. And on the other hand, I'm like, wow, okay, that actually makes me feel really empowered being a small business owner and seeing other yeah. women do it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's so many, you know, and that's like kind of, I guess the love hate with social media and Instagram and things um, is that you see, you get to see both sort of both ends of <laughs> becoming a mom and a, being a business owner, mom, et cetera. And you see like those that really take 
you know, that say that their business takes a backseat and then you see ones that are complete go-getters and you're able to sort of like, I don't fit your, how you do things. Um, it becomes a little bit more normal, right? Like, cause you see all different ways of doing things and it, it does help to normalize things. I know that some people can get really carried away by what they see, especially in photos and things of strangers they've never, they've never met. And I think people can take it as daunting and, oh, I'm never like that. Or they can, you know, press judgment. But I, I really do kind of think that at least for me and me and how I mother, it's good to see a, a lot of different ways of doing things and knowing that no matter how you're doing it, it's normal for you, right? It's your intuition of mothering and it's your way of running your business or whatever you are mothering, right? Mm. Um, I just feel, yeah, I just think that it's, it's kind of a good thing to be able to see all different walks of life on one little device. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. And then you can kind of try things on and be like, all right, well, does this work for me? And Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many small business hacks and so many things that people are out there promoting like, oh, this is what I do to boost my productivity. And this is what, you know, I do to get my kids up in the morning and then make sure that I, you know, get get going with work. And I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, nah, never in a million years. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm just I like, I'm not going to be that. Like, I just, I, I'm not a morning person and yeah. I'm never going to be a morning person, even when I'm forced to be with my baby. And so it's like, like you said, you can kind of then navigate what works for you. Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing too, about seeing so many women who are running their own businesses and are moms and they do find their way to make their own sort of pattern or lifestyle that fits for them. And that's so cool that it's not just like, oh, it has to look this way. Like it's not the 1950s. <laughs> no, exactly. <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. There are points in time where I'm like, if I could just be a mother, you know? Yeah. Like, take me back to the 50s where I could like spend the day cooking, you know, with my children playing outside. <laughs> I think you would love it for like maybe a day or two. And yeah, then <laughs> then the uh, the misogyny and chauvinism would uh, creep in pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yes, I do like to, I do like to work. And it's something that I kind of forget about when mothering was my work mainly um, that I do. There's, you know, parts of what I do that I just really love and it would never get lost on me. Um but it's fun to put it out to the world too at the same time. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, swinging back into like what you do specifically with making all of your products, um, will you tell us more about like the types of products you're making? And, you know, one of the things I'll like back up before you say, before you answer that question, like coming to your, your studio and your shop is like anybody who loves, herbalism or anything that's all natural or skincare or beauty care. It's like you could just like spend a day there having fun because (laughs) it's like you have, you have your closet of herbs. Like you open the door and it's a closet head to toe of just all the different herbs and flowers and plants that you use. And then you have like these massive vats of different types of oils that are your bases for a lot of your products. And it's just like, oh my God. I love it so much. So, oh, you're sweet. <laughs> well, it's well, yeah, cool. When I, when I when I got to well, when we moved back, and I was like, "What am I going to do?" And I was looking for really a space to do, you know, see nutrition clients, and I'm doing body talk as well. Um, 
but, and it's, it's a form of sort of energy medicine. Um, but it's, you know, I was just looking for a space to like have clients basically. And then this space came available and I'm like, well, I make things, you know, like I might as well just have a little shop. So that's kind of how it became like came into fruition. But, um, but it's definitely like, I feel like every month it, I like sort of see it taking another little turn and another direction and sort of trying to encompass everything that I love. Um, I always joke and say that like, I should have maybe named it. Like these are a few of my favorite things, <laughs> the store, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because that's, um, so yeah, I love being sort of surrounded by, um, plants. I mean, all sorts of plants, um, from, you know, ones that are growing by the stream to, you know, what most people call weeds that I just see as lovely things to make with. (laughs) Um, but then, you know, I take, I do process, I mean, I would say about 90% of the plants that I use. I, I process myself, I, from harvest to plant planting, even to harvest, to the drying method, to infusions and things like that. So it's kind of a fun place to come and like get the whole feel of being an herbalist mm. really. Um, but so I do make custom, I do a lot of custom teas and tinctures, um, for clients. And then I have a whole skincare line. So we're talking hair care, body oils, um, scrubs and different, like bath soaks and foot soaks and masks and face oils. And then I do about gosh, five different sort of staple salves, but I also love like a, a good seasonal something rather. So, you know, maybe I have an abundance of some sort of plants. I'll create something seasonal, usually in salve form or a soak form, um, with that plant. And then I do have some sort of liquid smudges. Um, I do plant bundle type smudges as well. And, um, and then teas just sort of have my staple go-to, um, blends of teas that I've been doing for a number of years now as well. So it's kind of a conglomerate of all of that. And then I can refill everything that I make too. Um, anything that's liquid or powder, um, I can refill in the shop. So I'm trying to sort of go the sort of zero waste sustainability mm way with the shop too. And I think people are catching on. I'm kind of in a, in, I'm in rural Montana. So, um, there's a lot of forces that, uh, are against me in that, in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to, you know, there are a lot of like-minded folks here, which is why I love, love, love where I live. So it's, I think it's catching on and I think it'll just kind of continue to catch on the sort of zero waste reusable item gift items. Um, you'll start to see, I think more people going that route and plus it saves you a little money, you know, and it saves me time having to make labels and more bottles to buy, et cetera. So, Mm. um, so I, I do like that part of it. Um, but yeah, the plants just being surrounded by plants in general is just a lovely place to be. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like, what do you, what's your relationship with plants? Um, you know, since I, I would say I probably got really geeked out when we were um, in Indiana, actually, because um, we bought our first house together um, and had about 10 acres and, you know, we were able to plant things, you know, and, and plant things that when we were planting them, we just thought, oh, this will be so great in, you know, 
two, five, 10 years, right? Um, little did we know we would move around a lot after that, but, mm. um, but yeah, just, you know, making sort of your, making your, your space better with plants. Um, there's so many benefits to plants. I mean, from habitat to, um, you know, uh, changing sort of the atmosphere as in like helping to keep water on your land or, you know, where do you put the water loving plants to sort of decrease boggy areas, et cetera. There's just so much you can do with plants. And so it started from more of like a landscaping, um, slash making my space better, um, sort of place. And I worked with this landscape artist who, um, was really kind of famous in that area. And he was so knowledgeable about even herbs and medicinal herbs and different flowers and things. And it just was fascinating to me. And I really like clung on to him and what he was saying. And, and so from kind of that job to all the places we've lived, we just, no matter what, no matter how long we're going to be someplace, we try to make it better, the land better. And that's sort of the ongoing thing with my husband and I is, um, you know, we'll put the money and the sweat into any land we're living on and then it'll be better for whoever's there next. You know, it's not just us. Mm. We're not just thinking about us. We're kind of thinking about like the big picture. So, Mm. um, so that's kind of how I got started was with the landscape art architect basically. Um, and then when I started learning more about herbs, obviously, you know, medicinal plants and, and the fact that herbs are most medicinal plants are perennials. Um, and I work mostly with, perennials, um, and wild, you know, wild plants that come back every year. Um, and that's kind of what my husband's goal is, is to have more of like a food forest where things come back and the, the time you put into everything gets a little bit less every year. Um, the work you put in, in the front is really the big work. Mm. And then you just get to see it like bloom into fruition. Um, in the years to come. And, and so we do lots of fruit trees and, um, perennial medicinals. And this year I'd like to get more into flowers. I love flower essences and like vibrational medicine. And I have, I've been collecting lots and lots of essences throughout the years. And, um, I love tree, tree flower essences and tree essences. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to have some flowers this year and more annuals now that we're, we know we're settled. So Mm. cool. Yeah. Well, and your can you talk more about like what you see as being the benefits of the vibrations of the plant medicine? Yeah. So I think that, you know, like, like every human, right. We are all sort of vibrating at a different place and different emotions that come up and through us, um, are really sort of, they can be cared for very subtly. So, I have seen a lot of folks benefit from, you know, more essence type remedies, um, or even, um, you know, maybe I'll make some sort of elixir, but add an essence to it to sort of put, it's kind of like the cherry on top and kind of brings everything together so that it's, it can act easily upon the different subtle emotions and different moments that person might be going through. And plants all have their own, just like humans have their own sort of, they vibrate in different ways and places and um, sort of act upon different parts of the human. And I just find that it's a really lovely thing to sort of 
subtly change how a person how a person deals with like everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of, it's more emotional, um, at least for me and <clears throat> also for my clients. Cause I see people that are going through big things usually for nutrition. Cause someone nutrition is a very hard world to kind of be in because there's so much information online. Right. And so people don't think that they need the support of nutritionist. And I, so when I see people, I see people that are having big issues and need to overcome big things, right? Because they've actually sought me out to help them. Mm. And so we're talking like lots of weight to be lost or, um, you know, needing to have surgery and can't without losing X amount of weight or big sort of autoimmune diseases, like all in one person, like a few, you know, very auto lots of autoimmunity going on. Um, and autoimmune diseases and disorders. And so I feel like it's fine. We can treat a lot of that with food. Right. And so I kind of come from a standpoint as I treat most of thing, most things with food and then the herbs that I use, and especially, you know, I, I use a lot of teas. Um, I don't typically recommend tinctures for everybody except for when they're going through something like kind of, the, um, more acute. I tend to use that teas. I tend to use a little bit more long-term and I just find that like everyone needs the sort of art of making tea. Um, and that sort of calming, you know, they need to be calmed so that their body can heal. And so that's where tea and like the art of tea comes into play. And then that's where the vibrational sort of essences that I use come into play too. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, there's, we can do big things with food and with different plants and eating and, but we need some, something to like care for the other aspects of us. Right. So that we can better digest our food and sit more calmly at a table and think about what we're eating. And so that's where sort of the vibrational plants come in for me. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so herbs are sort of like the, they're kind of just an add on for, for my practice. Um, I don't view myself as like just an herbalist. Um, I'm a nutritionist and an herbalist. Yeah. So, or I'm a nutritionist first, basically. Hmm. So yeah, the vibrational plants just kind of help with the emotional states of, of humans basically that I'm seeing Yeah. and can also help with the emotional states of most humans. So, (laughs) yeah, well, and what's so cool is what you're saying is also exactly what Ayurveda says, Yeah. you know, food food is medicine. That's where we should be getting most of our nutrients and, and be getting most of our healing and, you know, eating the appropriate foods and appropriate foods for us and the appropriate foods for the season and appropriate food combinations. And then, because herbs are a big part of Ayurveda also, but, but kind of like you said, they're meant to be a supplement. They're not meant to be the crutch or to be the main like you have to do all these other things in your lifestyle. And this is kind of what you were talking about with the art of the tea, like creating small rituals to help heal yourself. And it's not a quick fix. It's not like taking a magic pill or getting that magic surgery. It's like, okay, no, you actually have to be invested and have responsibility for your process of healing. Yeah. And that's, you know, one thing, they'll say, and I can't, I thought it was a tincture, but now I don't know. I had asked you to make, make one for me, um, for conception as I, as I was planning or part of my conception journey. And you gave me a list of everything. I mean, there were like 
10, 15 things that you yeah, put in are, it. It was a tincture and an essence. I did add, okay. I did add some flower essences into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's just like, again, by itself, that's probably not going to do whatever it is you're hoping it's going, you know, it's not, that's not the only thing you do. Right. Um, but in conjunction, and I, I love that you use the word subtle too, because when we talk a lot on the energetic field and you do a lot of energy work, I do a lot of energy work and we're talking about like subtle body anatomy and how the vibrations specifically target certain parts of our subtle body anatomy. And then that's how we can work on this totally different realm from the physical to help support the process of healing. And that is, I mean, and that is, I mean, in any energy medicine, at least what I gather from energy medicine, and that's like all different forms of it. I mean, it's really a supplement to how we should be living. Right. And like, it's just a way, another way to sort of treat ourselves to healing. Um, and it's just, it's such a big, I feel like it's a really big part of (laughs) someone's process and it should be a bigger part of people's lives. And I think that we'd be all, a lot of things would come easier if most of most humans dabbled in some sort of energy medicine, you know, Mm. um, just so that the, our emotional states were sort of better, better, carried and like cared for because that is really that stems from a lot of our dis-ease right is Mm. our emotional state and I just feel like yeah the plants and um and just you know being outside right so Mm. when you're outside typically you can be near a plant I mean even if you're in the city you know there's a park or someone's planted a planter or something like that and just even noticing plants around you can be really good for your emotional state um so they just come into play in so many different ways. And yeah, um, it's very subtle ways and you might not know it's there, but it, but it's, it's acting on something that it needs to act upon. Mm. Well, and then too, there is that, like you were talking about, like I was talking about the ritual aspect of when we do all these little things and we're committed to doing them every day, like taking the tincture or making the tea or Abhyanga, the oil massage, or, you know, any of these things that we're doing to take care of ourselves. And it's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a place of real concern. And I don't mean concern with the negative connotation. I mean, just like concern where it's not a rush. It's not an afterthought. It's not on autopilot. It's like, hey, I'm really being intentional with how I'm trying to take care of myself. And for me, that's actually one of like the biggest benefits of doing any sort of this, the, the more subtle energy work is it's the benefit of the actual work, but then it's also kind of almost, I mean, I don't want to say placebo because it's not a placebo, but just the benefit of doing the ritual in a way that's like, Hey, snap out of it. Like, you know, you're not a zombie yeah. going through life and then you die. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. And yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was uh, listening to you before, like placebo does, it, it does come up in my brain as like, but, and it's not obviously. Um, however, you know, through practices, they've, they know that placebos work sometimes, right? Yeah. So it is the art of sort of uh, changing your mindset on and your intention of doing things. So um, something that might not have a, a big effect for someone can have, um, 
can have a profound effect, right? Yeah, the act of doing it. Yeah. yeah, it's the act of doing it. Right. Well, and it is. It just it forces you to to slow down a little bit. It forces you to just be mindful in that moment. And and let's be honest too. I'm sorry, but when we use plant medicine, it's beautiful. <laughs> like yes, like is. there's there's the aspect of it that's really like um, aesthetically pleasing. It really is. And you know, there's, um, I mean, and they all have no matter how you extract or process an herb, I mean, they all have their own unique, you know, whether it's the scent or the taste or however your color, you know, imbibe, yeah, color imbibing on these herbs. Like they all have so many cool things about them. Um, And it's just a, it's a really fun, like learning process. You know, I always, I, I, I would love to do more workshops and things for people to get them more, hands-on with the herbs. Um, because it's just, it is so cool, you know, and even someone that's like not a plant person or even not like a nature lover would think that (laughs) what like processing herbs into many different ways is really neat, you know, and Mm -hmm. they would definitely have some sort of cool experience from it. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where it can, it's everybody's medicine really. Um, and these things have been taught in all different cultures for, so many years. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they've been lost on many generations and I feel like, I don't know, at some point there should be, there'll be an herbal revival, you know, Mm. I think there's, and that's another, the great thing about, you know, social media is that there, there is an herbal revival, but we're not all in the same location, you know? So, um, we got to make friends in in other places so that we can all come together and and make it happen. Mm. So if you had to choose just one plant for you to work with forever, what would you say your favorite plant or flower or tree is? That is a really difficult question. Um, I'm going to give you two. Um, but the first thing that I always, that always pops in my mind and that I just have like such an affinity for is nettles. Mm. I love stinging nettle. Um, and she's just lately, I should say she's been like, it was, took me a really long time to find her, um, sort of in the wild. Um, I lived in like very wet places where, you know, you would think she would be present and she wasn't, but I always like wanted to grow her, wanted to grow her, like kept wanting to grow her in every place we'd move. And then in Colorado, she was everywhere where we mm. lived, like just literally everywhere. And I was like in heaven with just, you know, the plant and the plant around. And then where we moved to in Montana, um, we have this huge patch of her right in our front yard and also by our spring. And I like when I was looking through the pictures of our house, Um, when we were living in Colorado and we were looking, you know, on Zillow or whatever we were looking on, there was this like interesting photo of like the view, which we have these amazing views, but in the view was this plant. And I'm like, gosh, it, from the picture, it wasn't a very good picture. It was like, I I was like, that is definitely nettle. And then, you know, my husband's like, oh, it's probably raspberries. You know, I was like, well, whatever, both would be great. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And we get there and we moved, you know, we bought the house in the, in winter, like just a few weeks ago, it's been a year. Um, and, and then like come spring, like there's all this nettle. It was, it was amazing. So I feel like that plant is something that I would always love to work with. I love fresh infusions. Um, I love like the seed in smoothies. Um, 
or just like in, you know, the greens, like the fresh greens are amazing. It's great to dry for tea. I love the tincture during my like allergy season. Um, she's super great for, you know, pregnant mamas and definitely oh, yeah. good with milk, right? Milk. Mamas. Well, definitely just, I mean, it's very rich in minerals and iron and, um, just like this sort of like life giver, I felt like for postpartum me, um, she, like anytime I could have nettle tea, it was like just giving me life, you know, mm. just putting like storing my body and my energy. Um, so nettles is definitely way up there. Um, probably as my number one. Second would be roses mm. just for everything about them, the way that they can like be sort of like a, a, you know, they're a hedge, sort of like a, a hedgerow, like a protector, um, like the essence of rose and just what it can do for our hearts and our um, spirit, for grief and for spirit, and then just smelling roses. I mean, it's just, and then like the hips are just so wonderful. So many uses for hips. Um, yeah, they just, roses are just really something. Mm. And kind of to be in their presence is, is again, no one could mistake the feeling of being in the presence of roses, you know, yeah. whether they be wild rose in the hedge or if they're, you know, someone buys them for you for Valentine's day. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. So yeah. But yeah, nettles. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, it's always, I mean, when you have a relationship with plants, <clears throat> it's super personal and it's like, having a relationship with a human, you know, it's not the same for everybody, which yeah. ones you kind of really respond to and vibrate with. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think for myself Yeah, what, what I would say would be my favorite. I don't know. Cause I use more, I mean, I'm, I, I did like a, you know, nine, 10, 11 years ago, I, I was dabbling in herbalism too, and was making a lot of my own stuff. And and one day I'd love to get back to that. That's, 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 that's a dream that probably is going to have to wait until after I have my baby. (laughs) After After, you guys can do together. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that would be really cool. Um, you know, so it's, I feel like I'm out of it a little bit with some of that stuff, but God, I love it so much. And and there is something you're right about like the process of making and crafting and harvesting. And what, can you speak a little bit about why it's important to try to wildcraft as much as possible? Um, or you what know, you think about that? There's a lot of, there's so much information out there on wildcrafting, which is great. And I love to do it. Um, I do, I'm, I am really into growing my own herbs as well. Um, and I think that that, I don't know, just from like learning and reading and uh, talking to the plants, um, that are wild, like as much as I love to see people doing that and I love to do it myself, I do think that I would more love to see people having really big herb farms. Right. Mm. Um, and so therefore we can kind of replenish the wild, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I know that there is a lot of speculation over, you know, things being over harvested and what's right and what's wrong in that 
scenario. Um, and uh, for the love of plants, I'm not going to go down that road um, today, but I think that if you're going to go out and, you know, want to harvest from the wild, there's definitely, you should definitely make sure that you have some sort of a relationship with plants where you can sort of, I like to go out and ask them, you know, um, and I don't have to really like ask anymore. I just have this like sense where like sometimes it will, it, my sense will say, you know, not today, you know, or find a different, you know, rose bush or whatever. Um, and some days it'll be more like, yeah, like let, this is good to take, right. We mm-hmm. can take this. The plant is happy with giving itself to me kind of thing. So with that being said, like I do wildcraft a lot. However, most of it is done on my land. So when I pick, when we decided to like pick a spot to live, we, again, it was winter, right. But we had the spring, we had like habitat for the, we had like land that would hold different plants. Right. So it was really fun in the spring to like, see what our <laughs> land held. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, look at all of this, you know? So I have a lot of the plants that I use on my land growing. So now I just take the time to like spread the seeds when they're in seed and, um, just try to increase their growth so that I'm not planting them, but I sort of am, yeah. um, in a wild way. And I think, so I think that, you know, to an extent, wild crafting is really important as long as people are being intentional Yeah, and not too much. Um, now do I believe that plants are going extinct? Yes and no. Um, I think that if someone is out harvesting just for sheer profit, um, that is dangerous. But if someone's out harvesting and they have a relationship with plants, then I would like to assume that they're doing it in a mindful way. Yeah. Um, and, and replenishing the earth by spreading seeds or, um, you know, propagating different roots, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so I think I think both growing them and wildcrafting them are really important. Um, I also think that it's important to like know your plant species really well before you start wildcrafting. And there's mm. so many great books out there that you know for and and lots of books for like your certain area, um, so that you can learn more about it. And those books will usually tell you like good practices, right? Yeah, for doing it. So I you know, a plant that's growing in the wild is, is, has lots of different great, you know, mineral reserves and it, it could have different, um, different uptake of different minerals as opposed to one that's growing, you know, that someone's growing in their yard, um, just due to different soil aspects and things like that. So a plant in their wild, like is definitely a hardy plant, right. And usually very vigorous, um, just because it decided to grow there and in that spot and that's where it's going to do really well. Right. Mm. Um, and when we grow them ourselves, like sometimes it's a fail and it's not really, they're not as happy or they're not as robust or what have you. So I think that that is kind of like a really great part of wild crafting is that, you know, the plant is, is growing kind of in the best place it can be growing. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's the way I, I look at it and sometimes I guess maybe I'm a little naive too. Like when I think of things being wildcrafted, I just have this, this blanket assumption that if you are wildcrafting, you are doing it with a very intentional 
way of of doing what's best for the plant and what's most sustainable for the earth and not just harvest, 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 so I can sell, 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 but just like what you're doing, like asking permission and listening for an answer and reading the vibration and knowing the plants. And it's, I don't know how much you've heard about this, but it's definitely come up in the yoga community quite a bit um, with everyone's like, oh, sage is is going extinct in California because so yeah. many people are harvesting sage. And um, and then Palo Santo, the wood that we get from South America, um, because Palo Santo is in so much demand now due to people using it in yoga and ritual and cacao ceremonies and all kinds of stuff, you know, that, that traditionally it was wildcrafted, sustainably harvested, and, and Palo Santo would only come from the trees that had already died and naturally dried out, like the Palo right. Santo we use in ceremony. But now, because there's such a high demand, they're just, you know, cutting down the live Palo Santo trees. And so the wood is of a totally different consistency, vibration. It's a lot wetter, so it doesn't work or burn as well. So those are the two main ones I've heard a lot about there being problems with, um, just from just from being in the yoga world. Have you yeah. heard about that too? Yeah. And mainly those are, I mean, besides some sort of like some, some of the woodland type herbs, um, that people are trying to revive, um, you know, like the ginseng, the black cohosh, that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's really, those things are so in the limelight, right? White sage and Palo Santo, so in the limelight because everybody's using them now, or everybody has heard about using them, et cetera. Um, I have, stopped using policy. I've stopped buying Palo Santo, but now I'm getting the resin, Mm. which I feel better about. Um, but you know, I've never been to where these trees are growing and I have never seen firsthand the harvesting. Like, yes, there's videos out there, et cetera. So I can't really say one way or the other, how I feel about if they're being over harvested. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are doing good work for these trees Um, and I obviously want to believe that, you know, they're doing it in a sustainable way. I mean, if it says sustainably harvest, you want to believe it, right? Yeah. But honestly, until I'm seeing it with my own eyes, I personally am going to take a step back from using the wood. Yeah. Um, the resin is, I, from a, a friend of mine and, um, an Instagram friend of mine actually in Tennessee turned me on to the resin and, you know, it's a little bit subtler, a little bit. Um, gosh, I would say almost like a smokier scent to it Mm. than palace, like than the wood itself, but, oh, it's dreamy. I mean, it might, might be like everyone's new favorite, right? Mm, I know. Well, I'm going to have to get some. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely look it up. And, um, so I've been using that resin instead and it's been working really well. Um, I don't, you know, white sage again, I, I am not in California and, Um, so I I don't, I can't say, but if I'm going to source white sage, I will source it from someone who I know is growing it. Yeah. And that is just my choice basically. Um, and there are so many people that are growing this plant, which is great. Um, great. And then, and then there's an abundance there's, you know, they're promoting this plant being around for a long time. Um, so yeah, so unless I'm seeing it with my, I, I don't try, I try not to take a stand mm. <laughs> one way or the other, except for I say to do what you feel best about doing. Um, 
and yeah, the white sage that is grown by herbalists and farmers is beautiful. Um, and that's kind of the route I would take. Mm. Yeah. They also don't use essential oils. Um, and those two are also big essential oils. Um, so I try, yeah, I try to use the whole plant material. Mm. You don't use essential oils at all or just of those specific? Not anymore. Nope. Not anymore at all. No essential oils in my products. I just, um, they're the volatile oil of the plant. So that's, it's just sort of like one constituent when there's lots and many in all different plants. And so I try to just use the whole plant, which obviously isn't going to have like such a big smell, right? Which is part, which is the kind of part that I, I believe in with essential oils is like aromatherapy wise. Um, but my, my stuff still smells delicious. Yeah. Um, and smells like the plant. So I make extracts instead and I do, um, infused oils and, um, infusions and things like that to sort of get all the constituents of that plant instead of just the volatile oil, but it will obviously also have the volatile oil in it because I'm using the whole plant. So it's just not going to be like super powered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically. Well, and that's the one thing that I just absolutely loved. And I, I, want to order some more. It's just always such a deterrent to like buy things internationally and have them shipped to Norway. But I want to give a a shout out because I loved all of your products that I tried, but the one that I really am in love with, and I think everybody, anybody listening should go check out are your, uh, what did you call them? The, the smudgeless smudges or the um the smudge sprays the smudge sprays oh yeah. my god and you do i got to try the um sweet grass yep i do a sweet grass and i do a resins one which is sort of like frankincense copal myrrh um dragon's blood i do palo santo which is now the resin basically mm-hmm. of palo santo and then i do a sage one which is not um not white sage. Uh, I might try that if I, you know, want to order some from someone who's growing it, but I've actually, it's just sagebrush now. So it's just from my land sagebrush. So mm. it, yeah. it has the same idea behind it, um, for what it does for you. But yeah, great as room sprays or even like body sprays. They're awesome. And yeah, I'm proud of them. Yeah. Especially essential oils anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should be. And <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more effort. <laughs> you know, I have the sweetgrass one and I, I, I use it, um, in dirt, like some of the opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies and my teacher trainings. And, um, oh. and I use it when I'm teaching breath work and okay. which I don't do very often. It's usually like an event or at a festival. And I mean, the smell is phenomenal and people just love it so much. And it's, it's so nice to have an alternative to, to burning something. Yeah. I um, mean, depending on where you are, sometimes you can't burn something. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like a nice way to do it. And, um, sweetgrass is, it, it doesn't, I do an extraction of it in alcohol actually, um, to get the scent. So, um, you know, you can do hydrosols of sweetgrass, but there's no essential oil of sweetgrass. It, it's not super, it's a grass, so it's not super high and like the volatile oils. Mm. Um, so, and it's a very like subtle scent, but yeah, the, it is really something. I know. Well, cause you get it. The one that you make is, is potent enough that you can really yeah. smell it. It's not just like a, Oh, I kind of smell something nice. It's like a, wow, that's sweet grass. 
Yeah, it's so it's, good. That yeah. one's probably my favorite. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, you just feel like you're in a hug and I'm, I'm like down to the last little bit and I'm like saving it. I'm like, okay, how many more ceremonies do I have until I go on maternity leave? And, um, and then my mom comes so she can bring me some. <laughs> oh yeah. She can totally bring you some. Yeah. Better. Yeah. So it's, I just, I, I think they're magic. And so I think everybody should go, go purchase some from you because it's a nice alternative to burning the sage or burning the sweet grass. And and I should mention that the sweet grass is actually comes, my boss grows a huge, my boss, I work at a distillery um, and she grows, she's got quite the green thumb and she has like a huge garden bed full of sweet grass. So it comes from her. If anyone is wondering <laughs> about my wild crafting of sweet grass, I actually have someone that grows it. So yeah. I get it from Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. Uh, well, I want to thank you, Hillary, for taking the time and, and chatting with me about what you're up to and and everything all about plants. So Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on about them. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I could talk about it for a long time. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think that's that's where we'll say goodbye and um, I'll put some of the links to your company and everything in the show notes so everybody can take a look. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. 